Welcome back to the Talk Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. This is the Boy Slut episode. We're going to talk about bisexuality, maybe some social media, some publishing discussion, a little bit of Q&A. We love advice here. So this is your sex ed and self-help podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. I'm a longtime sex worker of many varieties. We're going to be speaking with Zachary Zane. Go look him up right now, ZacharyZane.com. And I found him on Instagram per your recommendation, listeners, at ZacharyZane underscore. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me on here. Oh, yeah. So boy slut is so fun to say. (laughs) (laughs) Like, uh, so what is the book about? Sure. So, yeah, the book is called Boy Slut, a memoir and manifesto. And it's about how to overcome sexual shame. And I write through a very, you know, male bisexual lens, a polyamorous lens, kink positive lens. I write in a very kind of graphic and raunchy way. And that's honestly on purpose. I feel like we often shy away from talking about sex, especially with regards to like bisexuality. I think there's this idea that, you know, in order to be main, like palatable to like gain or palatable to gain straight people, but specifically straight people, we kind of have to like neuter ourselves um and not talk about sex in any capacity and i'm like no like sex is a huge part of my sexuality of my bisexuality i want to address that and i Mm. think for me kind of one of the things i address kind of in the first chapter of the book is how i actually grew up in a very like sex positive household and i had gay uncles on both sides of my family so my mom's brother my dad's brother and still i had so much sexual shame um and it's just because you know sex negativity is so pervasive it is so insidious so even though i had sex positive family members Mm. like um you know it it couldn't combat you know just society the media my peers teachers all that stuff and i Mm. kind of hadn't seen a book really written from that lens often like when i read kind of gay memoirs it's often like okay you were from the south you got kicked out of your ham- family for being gay and you've had this very troubled and traumatic upbringing and i often felt like why do i have sexual shame i i didn't have that whatsoever <laughs> like like mm. i had a pretty easy upbringing yet i still struggled so much and my experience wasn't theirs and yet i still had the shame um mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Yeah, that's in short what the book is about and kind of each chapter is dedicated to something different. So the first one, for example, is like mental health and sexuality. I have OCD and I had terrible, terrible OCD growing up. So the first chapter is me and like at eight years old, imagining my therapist naked and feeling so Mm. much shame for it and crying in his his office as I'm imagining him naked. I Um, saw that in some some of your other writing or interview. I, did you did you tell therapist or did you keep no, that one? No, I told him. Like like okay. I I kept on because like I think a thing about OCD is it's very difficult for me almost like to keep a secret if I'm hiding something it kind of consumes me. I need to be told mm. like frequently and extremely frequently that what I'm doing is okay, what I'm thinking is okay, and if not, mm. I, I would just kind of be overwhelmed. Um, and so you know I confess I'm like you know I imagine people naked a lot. And he's like, that's okay. You're allowed to imagine anyone naked. And I'm like, everyone, you know, kids my age, you know, old people, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even in a sexual way. I wasn't sexualizing Mm -hmm. these people. It was just, 
in my mind, nudity was bad. Having these thoughts mm-hmm. were bad. And so I was trying to not do it. And of course, I wasn't able to not do it because I had OCD. And then mm-hmm. I imagine him naked. And I tell him this. And, you know, he actually just like laughs a little bit. He's like, yeah, anyone naked includes me. <laughs> and that's okay. And, try, and tried to explain. What a great therapist. Yeah, he really was a great therapist. And that's I'm very wonderful. lucky that my mom had sought him out. I didn't realize until like calling her to discuss the book and trying to, you know, it's tough for me to remember things from when I'm eight and I'm wondering how accurate my actual memories are. Right, right. Um, Being like, one thing I learned was that a lot of her friends judged her um, for getting me in therapy and putting me on medication. They thought it was like these like, like mere like childhood eccentricities that I would grow out of. And she was like, no, this is severe mental health uh, disorder. Like he he needs help. Um, So how about how, how old are you now? May I I'm 32 now. Okay. So I'm 36. I'm just trying to think. So it was like the late nineties, early aughts. Correct. Okay. 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 Definitely. It was like, for me, it was, well, not for me. I was never medicated, but I remember how many of my friends were medicated, but I don't think a lot of my friends' parents were like trying to progressively put them into therapy so they had someone to talk to. So good on your mom. Really good on my mom. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, mom. Okay. So uh, I'm so glad you brought up mental health and sexuality. You said in the, is the first chapter of your book because Mm -hmm. they do relate so closely. We know this. Right. And what you said about like you didn't grow up in this incredibly conservative, far right cliche environment where having the shame makes so much sense. And it just really shows how steeped we are in it. Yeah. Purity culture goes so incredibly deep. And that I mean, I relate that to every day. Like I live in Portland, Oregon. It's considered a progressive bubble. But I see a lot of vitriol directed at um, drug users and unhoused. Mm and sex workers still by people who consider themselves progressive. They're just like, I just don't want to see it. You know, I don't want to see the squalor. So I love the themes of your book. Okay. So you kind of touched on uh, kink and polyamorous lenses. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what are some identities that you strongly relate to, including those? Uh, Sure. So, I mean, bisexual and queer are probably... Two two big ones there. <laughs> uh, I think also Jewish too. I um, and that's something I've been. I grew up, went to like a, a Jewish private day school, and then kind of afterwards, I really kind of shunned my Judaism away a little bit. And I think that's kind of commonly happens when it's like rammed down your throat for so long, and you don't want to do it. Mm. And kind of recently, I've been reconnecting with it in a way that I think is potentially beneficial to my mental health and kind of looking at it through definitely more of a spiritual lens and a community lens as opposed to like mm-hmm. the strict scripture and stuff like that and seeing if mm-hmm. it can kind of play a good role in my life. So that's something I've just kind of been exploring. I'm related to sex or polyamory or anything like that. Mm. Um, polyamorous, again, is a is another kind of big um, part of my identity as well. I've been poly for about uh, eight years now with and right now I'm currently single, actually, for the first time in a long time, which is also liberating as well. I, I can talk about polyamory for forever, but I feel like one thing that I've recently realized with polyamory, or not recently realized, but is how I end up almost in relationships that I didn't intentionally set out to be in. Because mm-hmm. when you're monogamous and you're like dating someone, and you're like, okay, this person's not going to fulfill these needs of mine. You know what I mean? Like, this is not something I can see long term. I I need someone else different. 
But when yeah. you're poly, at least I'm like, oh, I don't need this person to fulfill all my needs, right? We're poly and I enjoy hanging out with them. Um, and sometimes when I try to like break things off, it can be a little bit challenging because when you're monogamous, you can be like, oh, like I don't see you being my life partner. Here are the issues. Versus with Polly, when it's like, oh, <laughs> you can't say that. So it's almost just like you're not one of the top 50 people I want to hang out with. And that's just the honest to God truth of it. Especially like, you know, if they treated me poorly, that's one thing. You know what I mean? As something or there's something clearly wrong in the relationship. But sometimes it's just like, no, you're, you're fine. And I don't want to see you. And you're super nice. And the sex is good. So we, I kind of kept doing this. And you kept reaching out. And before I knew it, I'd end up in relationships where even though, again, they weren't necessarily primary partners, that's still, it's still a relationship. It's still someone I want to respect and treat well, of yeah. course. And I'm yeah. like, wait a minute. Do I do I want this? Like it's almost I've been going more along with the emotions sometimes, and mm-hmm. now being like, okay, even for casual partners, even for friends, is this someone I really want to be hanging out with? My time is valuable. I have a lot of mm-hmm. incredible people in my life already. So if I'm making room for someone else, not just hanging out with them because oh they like me and they're nice, and I can't think of a reason not to. So. I don't know, it's something I've been like thinking about uh, more recently. You said in previous interviews, so I was uh, scoping you out, mm-hmm. of course, yes, that you were in denial about your bisexuality for years. So can you tell listeners what that looked like, like uh, whether you internalized it or expressed it? Sure. So I-, I think it's important to kind of remember when I was kind of struggling with my bisexuality in my late teens, this was now like 15 years ago, and there really was a dearth of bisexual visibility back then. Mm. And while there, of course, could be more bi visibility now, like we are seeing so much more bisexual visibility in articles about bi people and bi identity than like ever before. And I'm Mm -hmm. a a part of that. I'm contributing to that. Mm -hmm. But when I was struggling with my identity, um, it was like if you Google, I remember Googling like bi guy and the only thing that came up were like studies about bi men having and spreading HIV or um. or articles about um, like 10 things to never say to a bisexual person or 10 myths about bisexuality. But it was huh. bisexual content geared to like straight and gay people to justify our existence. It, it wasn't even like bisexual huh. content for other bi people who are struggling. You know what I mean? Huh. And in college, I went to a very gay-friendly college, and every person I knew who came out as bi, every guy I knew that came out as bi came out as gay shortly after. I didn't know a single famous bi celebrity. I didn't know a single famous bi male person. So even though I can be, you know, egocentric, I'm not delusional. I'm not like I'm the only (laughs) bi guy in the entire fucking world. So I think when you kind of have that as a backdrop, it can explain why I had so much confusion. And then, of course, Mm -hmm. just people not believing that bisexuality existed. Mm -hmm. Um, So Mm -hmm. I – it was kind of interesting because I knew I loved women and I liked women. Um, Like, I I wasn't necessarily, like, hiding many aspects. You know, I hear kind of stories of gay men who are like, oh, no, they're with other guys and they're talking about how hot women are, the crushes that they have on women, and they have to completely fake that. Versus I was not faking that. I found these women attractive. I did have crushes on these women. I also found men attractive. I also had crushes on them too. But I can kind of compartmentalize it and push that away because I still was attracted to mm. women. You had uh, another option. To I, I had that another energy. Op- exactly. Um, yeah. But like yeah. it's 
uh, in college, you know, I decided I wanted to hook up with a guy and I had to get super drunk to do so. Oh, classic. Like like it was the second week of college and I purposely went to college, you know, 3000 miles away from home. I think subconsciously I knew I needed to get the fuck away from everyone. Right. And I, in the middle of him blowing me, I left to go vomit twice. Uh, So to give you a sense of how drunk I was. Oh yeah. This sounds like me being 19 and 20 for uh, sure. Oh yeah. And I think I really expected to have this light bulb moment where like I would kiss his lips and know like, oh my God, this is what love is. This is attraction. Every time I've made out or had sex with a woman, like that was not real. That that was fake. This is what it is. Or I'd be, I don't want to say repulsed, but it would be like a very clear indicator that, okay, this is clearly not for me. And Hmm. I didn't have a polarizing response in part because I was so fucked up. But then also mm. because I was just so in my head and like, I was like, am I enjoying this? Do I like this? Like, I, I like, I couldn't just like sit back and relax and enjoy it. I had to be like, oh, what does this mean for my identity? Um, mm. And I ended up getting like blackout to hook up with guys for five years, um, mm. like all throughout college. Uh mm-hmm. And it almost like had a reputation that like like gay guys on com- campus knew that if they got me drunk, they could hook up with me, which mm. does sound predatorial and I understand that. But it was also like a weird <laughs> dynamic where it's like I also did want this, like I needed to yeah. be drunk to do this. So I wasn't actively discouraging it. And I kind it's of put advertising myself in, 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 and putting myself in situations where these guys would buy me drinks or give me drinks because that's kind of what I wanted deep down. So it's a weird thing where it's like yeah, your behavior was predatorial. In my case, it was okay and kind of what I needed, but I really hope you're not doing this to other guys. Mm. Um, Mm. I was a horny kid too and teenager, and I definitely put myself in situations where like I was not being protected and people weren't interested in my safety. But because I was a girl child, um, I think some things are maybe more inherently dangerous to me and others. No, of course. That's not an insane thing to say. That makes complete sense. I'm a a 6'4 guy. I was never as worried about my safety the same way. I'm still not as worried about my safety. I put myself in sexually risky situations. And I'm actually okay with that. You know, I'm okay with the consequences of doing so. Uh, For like, you know, it's like, okay, I'm putting myself, whatever it is, in this gangbang situation with these rough guys who potentially are fucked up. And it's like, okay, I I know that I could get hurt, but that's okay. Like, I. But you're not 5'2, yeah. Yeah, and I'm taking the risk. And that's something that's a risk that I've decided I'm allowed to take. And I, for me, the arousal and the fear is good. There's certain things Mm -hmm. I don't, some risks I don't feel comfortable taking, but some I do. And just Mm -hmm. kind of the nature of even just like grinder queer hookups were like, it's so funny when I first started hooking up with guys via. Oh, side story. Then I'll go back here. But when I first started hooking up with guys mm-hmm. on like Grinder, like you think it's it's fucking insane when you think about mm-hmm. it. It's just like you're taught don't talk to strangers, don't have sex with strangers, and that's like random people are inviting me into their home, leaving the door unlocked, blindfolded mm-hmm. for me to like come in and do this. And it's like literally the exact opposite. I remember being like thinking, oh my god, I'm going to get murdered. And then what the fuck mm-hmm. am I going to tell my poor mom? Uh, you know, her, her son. Dickerous flew too close to the <laughs> bussy here. Like, like what, what am I going to say? Hole. And now I'm just like, oh my god, it's so commonplace. Yeah, and, and that fear kind of turns me on a little bit. But um, but going back to the bisexuality thing, grinder, grinder seems like a whole other animal. And oh I get god. the screenshots from my gay man friends, it, and and I'm they're a- just like. They're like women don't do this. I'm like not many. No, no I have a whole chapter on grinder culture uh, in the book. Uh, it's because I, I had to. 
Um, oh, good. But should get him a coffee. Going back to my bisexuality, I I like end up seeing a therapist after college, and essentially, on our second session, I asked him to be very blunt with me. You know, on our second session, I'm preparing the same monologue I gave the first session about being like, oh, I think I'm gay, I think I'm straight. And he kind of goes, you seem like, he's like, I don't want to interrupt. Uh, the word confused when we talk about sexuality actually has a definition, which I didn't realize. Like, he's like, you, you don't sound confused. You sound very clearly bisexual. Is there something I'm not understanding? And I, like, is there something I, like you're not, and I'm going to go, oh, that shit doesn't exist in men. And he responded, Zach, you're too smart to think that, which is just kind of like a perfect little ego jab too. Um, yeah you're like okay fine you challenged me yeah and then from that initially i thought it was bi dash sexual and heteroromantic meaning i'm you know sexually attracted to all genders but only romantically attracted to women and that was just while that's a valid orientation that was just not mine and it was like lingering internalized homophobia and biphobia and then over time Mm. i realized i could love and have sex with people of all genders um Mm. and that's kind of where so I'm yeah therapy really helped me and, and sped that along and the moment he said that like bisexuality became an option which it just wasn't before and I'm stealing that language from Fritz Klein who's a famous um researcher who studied bisexuality who kind of did more work on it than even Kinsey did but doesn't get the same amount of credit um and instead of the kinsey scale there's actually something called the fritz klein sexual orientation grid which actually is much more nuanced and something just interesting huh. to look out. but he's a book called the okay. bisexual option so i just want to give him credit because th- that is his language um Thank but you. yeah it, it just didn't I, I did not think it was a valid option i did not think it was real and being told by a health professional not only is this real is this an option it so clearly is you was like oh Oh, what this is amazing. Therapist. This is amazing. So two good therapists in your life. I had one terrible psychiatrist who said bisexuality wasn't real. So, uh, <gasps> so you know, yin-yang, if you will. Uh, Where are they now? Have they gotten their comeuppance? <laughs> it's, and I understand why, and I talk about this in the book, where he was trying to treat me for OCD, and he, I could tell he was afraid I had. It used to be called oh. HOCD, homosexual OCD. But now it's called SOOCD, um, sexual orientation sexual OCD. Orientation. And okay. it's the idea, you'll have these straight guys, for example, who their OCD manifests with them thinking they are gay, but like obsessing over it to the point. And these are straight men who like yeah. think they are gay and they will like leave their wives, leave their kids, destroy their family, not be able to work. And it is a symptom of their OCD. It's not actually their sexuality. Wow. Um, and so this has got to be some kind of byproduct of shame in a culture, right? It, it is. I, I think it only can exist if you think it's potentially a bad thing in a homophobic culture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, or yeah. So it, it's interesting. So I know he was trying to treat me for that. Um, mm-hmm. However, like no, not, not helpful in my situation. Yeah. Not helpful at all. Wow. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Well, you've given us a lot to work with and you're, <laughs> I'm so glad you're on the show right now. Um, I've been, I'm, there is, there is a lack of good, um, role the intentional role modeling of inclusive sexuality and glad you're here Zachary Zane thank Uh, you so thank you you. yes 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 so I asked my social media followers on Instagram at stripper writer still on there not deactivated lately um I said dudes how do you role model healthy sexuality okay so I'll read you react sure that is also such a 
challenging question. You know what I mean? I, so, like, I was, I'm like thinking like, how the fuck would I respond to that? Even though this is what I do for a living, still, that is just such an overarching question. And I'm like, oh my God, where do I even start? But yes, I'm well, interested I only in hearing got, what they say. I only got, uh, there's eight responses from five different people. So it was one of the lesser uh, volume responses, which makes sense because yeah. it is. it does seem like a complicated question. So one person says communication, 1000%. Okay, someone else says, mostly by getting people to think about what both what sex is and what it means. I think he means other types of having sex, because this is a bisexual man, too. I actually know this person. Okay. Someone says, by behaving myself, keeping my word, and waiting for consent. Thoughts, Zachary? Okay, yeah. So uh, these are all looking at it on a very kind of individual level, as opposed to a larger kind of systemic and social level. Um, so it's like, yeah, these are individual things that these people can do. Of course, you should communicate. You should be honest and open about your desires. I also mm-hmm. think potentially creating a culture or a, a way where we really have to start unpacking toxic masculinity. And that word has just gotten so – I'm always afraid to kind of use these big buzzwords. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm, like, I know. Uh, sometimes people like – They've the been overwrought. Is- I know. It, 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 it's tough. But like yeah. I, I think in a way where we allow – men to be more vulnerable to address their insecurities to uh delve into their trauma and address these things it like that's the issue we're not mm-hmm. men aren't allowed in many cultures or just still the like, commonplace to, to do this so i think creating a space where men feel more comfortable addressing these things so they have a healthy sexuality with themselves they are less angry they are less shitty they're treating their partners like crap and mm-hmm. uh helping these men yeah be more vulnerable which is scary the the reason why they're not is because it's fucking scary being vulnerable and sharing those things and we fear rejection and then you know often men get rejected and they can turn to violence you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's not just like a oh he might say something mean it's like these are genuine fears um Mm -hmm. so i don't know if we can just yeah create a world or environment or society where we can kind of allow men to yeah have their emotions have their feelings be vulnerable unpack their trauma and not see them as less of a man for doing so we'd have healthier mm-hmm. men and these healthier men would treat their partners better mm-hmm, definitely so here's a couple more and you'll probably like these as well someone says okay so the question is how do you try to be a good male role model for healthy sexuality by helping my students treat the subjects of their desire with respect and not accepting negative attitudes towards women or LGBTQ plus folks in my classroom or wherever I am present in the building. Love that. Yes, you you should. Yeah, I think be an advocate for uh, those who are marginalized. I think using your privilege for good and speaking out uh, is important, of course. Yeah, okay. And then last one. This is really sweet, I think. Someone says, I'm trying to be the sex partner I needed in my dark days, the partner that would have been healing. Oh, that's very Mm. heartwarming. I like that. Okay, folks. So go ahead, look up our guest, Zachary Zane. He is ZacharyZane.com. You can find him on Instagram at ZacharyZane underscore. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. You can see what I'm doing behind the scenes, patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows, just a dollar to subscribe. And otherwise, check me out on Twitter where I am severely shadow banned at L Stanger.
people ask me all the time, what is the vibrator necklace that you're wearing in the photo of this podcast album art? That is the Vesper or the Vesper 2. If you go to theytalksex.com, click the banner at the top that says Vesper 2. These vibrators are great for solo use, for partner use, as a stimming tool, as a relaxation or distraction fidget. And I'm 100% serious about that. Woman designed here in the USA by friend of the podcast, T. Chang. Get your Vesper on VTOXX.com on the top left banner that says Vesper 2. Welcome back to the Talk Sex Podcast. This is the Boy Slut episode. Boy Slut, Boy Slut, so fun to say. (laughs) (laughs) So let's do some listener questions with Zachary Zane. Okay. So, listener question one. Any tips on coming out to my family members? We don't know anything about the family. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's... This is a broad one, but I'll do my best here. And I should mention, so I write the sex and relationship advice column at Men's Health uh, magazine. So I've been doing that for, the column's been around for like three, four years, but I'm writing them for a while. So so you probably get this question every month. So, so I do, yes, I do get a lot of, uh, I'm decent at giving advice is I guess what I'm trying to say here. Like, <laughs> this is my yeah. job and I've been doing this weekly for a long period of time. Right. Um, You're not just a pretty face. Got it. Not mm-hmm. just a pretty face. Uh, mm-hmm. Mainly a pretty face, though. But it's <laughs> so I, I think for that, always the first thing I say is like, hey, make sure you're in a safe environment, like in a way where it's like if you are 16 and you're going to get kicked out of your house for being gay or bi or whatever it is or trans, like it, mm-hmm. it is it is OK for you to remain closeted till you are at college, till you have housing, till you have enough money to support yourself or till you have, you know, that you've set up, okay, if my parents kick me out of the house, I can go stay with my friends. And they said that is okay mm-hmm. and they will support me. So it's mm-hmm. not like sometimes people are very quick to be like, you should always come out in every single situation. I don't want to be like, no. well, n- no, no, you do have to put yourself and your safety and your emotional well-being first. That said, mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, I'll specifically just to, to make this question a little bit more specific, I, I think I'll say specifically how do you come out as bisexual because I think that actually has some different challenges than coming out as gay or trans or something else, right? They're each unique. Um, mm. I think one thing that can be a little challenging when coming out as bisexual is it's almost like your family doesn't know exactly what that means. Where it's like you come out as gay, it's like, okay, a man's going to be coming home for Christmas theoretically. Versus for mm-hmm. bisexuality, it could be like, okay, this guy – my son's still going to date women for the rest of his life. He still could be monogamous. And I remember when I came out to my family, they just had a lot of follow-up questions in a way that I Mm. don't think I would have received had I just been like, oh, I'm coming out as gay. They were like, okay, so Mm. does that mean you're going to date a man or a woman? And I'm like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know yet. (laughs) Are are, are you still going to have kids? I'm like, I I don't know. Like, And it was a lot of stuff. And, And I feel like knowing that you don't have to have everything figured out can be very helpful. And I actually took me longer to come out because I knew people were going to ask me questions I didn't have answers to. And I think you can just be like, hey, all I know is that, you know, I'm physically and romantically attracted to men, women, people of all genders. Um, And so there might be someone in my life who's a man. There might be someone in my life who's a woman. And don't feel obligated to justify your sexuality, to um, explain it, or to know what the future holds. Because honestly, we don't. I think it can be a relatively simple like hey I, and i'm sharing this 
hey, I'm bisexual. This is what this means to me. And I'm sharing this with you because you're someone important in my life and I want to be able to be my truest self around you. Uh, Mm. I don't want to feel like I'm hiding from you. I don't want to feel afraid of you or feel like I can only discuss certain things with you. So I'm sharing this with you because I love you. You're an important person in my life. And I want you to love and know the real me. So that kind of explains, yay, I'm telling you this because this is important to me. And all I want you to do is accept me and love me. Mm -hmm. All of that makes sense. What you said in the beginning, don't feel like you have to come out as if it's like a moral obligation. I say the same thing to sex workers where it's like, if you choose to remain private, it's not like there's something wrong with what you're doing or who you are. You might have very legitimate reasons and people do. Um, Yeah, definitely. I didn't come out to my parents as queer until I think like five years ago. And I'm a female child. So there's arguably less stigma because my dad's attitude was pretty flippant. He watches girl, girl porn. I know I I discovered it when I was young, (laughs) among other things, you know, it's, I'm like, okay, well, uh, both of us, I guess. Um, (laughs) But, you know, but the the homophobia is different. Uh, Homophobia is different. And there are like, like racial components involved. And like I I talked, I'm speaking to this as a white man, so I might not be the best person to discuss this. But I do talk to my black friends about this, my black partners about this. And like there's like this group of white gay men who are just like, yeah, you should be coming out in every single situation. And I never sleep with men who are on the quote unquote, down low or discreet or or like, I'm like, you don't know what it's like being a black gay man and the different challenges that they face. It is not the same as being a white gay man and you imposing, oh, you should be coming out because that's the right thing to do. And you shouldn't be cheating on your partners or everyone or whatever the fuck it is. It's like, you don't actually know this fucking experience and you, you should shut up about this. Like it is very different coming out depending on your culture or your race, so many other factors too. Mm-hmm. So I just want to address that. Mm-hmm. On the DL, on the down low, I believe that came directly from closeted black culture. Yeah, it's a and word like, that's like kind of uh, people discrimi- use it in discriminatory, kind of. It's unclear. That's why I try to say discreet, but down low does spe- specifically mean something. It- I think that's the etymology of it. It is. Um, that's correct. Yeah. So that's that's yeah, exactly. That's exactly right on topic. Ah, this brings us so much to the next question. I almost didn't include this one because it's very similar, but we know a little bit more here about the relationship. So listener question two, how do I gently address my girlfriend's biphobia? I don't want to stay closeted forever. Um, I wonder how he knows she's biphobic. What do you think? Well, the way I'm interpreting this question is she's kind of making him stay in the closet. Is that what it seems like? Or encouraging him to do so? So the way that I read it is that he has been presented with at least one situation where he thinks she might be biphobic or homophobic and that makes him want to stay closeted. Yeah. I mean, the the answer is that I feel like there's a lot of fear and I get this when people come out as bi to their wives or to their girlfriends or something like this, you know, I get a lot of messages especially because I write for men's health, I get these like older men who really didn't know much about this came out to their wives as bi and often their wives are great. And then often their wives leave them. And Mm -hmm. that is a real risk. And so, and Mm -hmm. I get that. And they're like, yeah, listen to your advice. And I always try to make it clear that like that 
is a potential thing that happens. Like, like I'm, I'm not going to pretend like, oh, she's going to respond great. And if you respond, well, it's like, no, like biphobia is deep. Homophobia is deep. Like, like these are real risks. And I think with this, it's you're, you're weighing out kind of the pros and cons. It's like, do you want to live the rest of your life in your in the closet? No, it sounds like you don't. So I think the fear is, oh, I'm going to talk to her and be like, hey, just to let you know. And again, kind of repeating what I said last time, I'm sharing this with you, not because I want anything in our relationship to change, because that's also a fear where they're like, oh, do you now want an open relationship? Do you want to explore this? And if you do, okay, address that. But if you don't, make that clear as well. So you explain, hey, I'm doing this because you're someone I love and trust. I want you to embrace and know all of me. I don't want to feel like I'm hiding. Let them know Mm. kind of how this could potentially change the relationship or how it won't change the relationship. Um, And Mm. if she is not accepting, like, you know, obviously, like, I I think it's helpful to initially try to see why she's not accepting, you know what I mean? Or not necessarily as supportive. Is this coming from a place of insecurity? Is it that, oh, I'm now afraid you're going to leave me for a man and therefore I don't like this? Is it afraid that, oh, my friends are going to judge me? And I've dated women and their friends are really shitty to them for dating a bi guy. Um, Mm. And if so, it's like, okay, how do we address these issues? But at the same time, yeah, there's like, if she remains being biphobic and you can't address these issues, then you break up. That's just mm-hmm. the truth of it. You you don't be with someone who's biphobic. Again, I'm someone who's actually, you know, I have other activist friends who I know who are very quick to be like, you should break up. They're biphobic. They're a terrible person. Mm-hmm. Like, no. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's take a deep breath. And I'm okay with having a conversation uh, and addressing their insecurities and fears. And I think you should do that. But if they do not change, then yes, then you break up with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he said it in the last line. I don't want to stay closeted forever. Yeah. Uh, so I typed a sentence where I'm like, well, this is going to give me biased answers. Um, what do women think of bisexual men? I typed into Google. Um, oh, and then, yeah. So there's like studies. I see the independent uh, uh, 2022. It says too many women assume that bi men are secretly gay, cheaters or disease carriers. Which is really kind of what I, the stigma I think I was talking about, because mm-hmm. that's kind of what I hear from people who act that way. <laughs> and it's usually kind of, I'm like, well, how often do you get screened? I mean, if you've been cheated on, I understand the fear of that for sure. It's, and also, I just want to acknowledge there's a big difference between closeted uh, guys who are bisexual and men who are open and embrace their bisexuality. And there's actually this like tome of a book by this researcher. What's her name? I think Maria Palota Chiorelli, something like that. And it's called mm-hmm. Bi Women. Oh, no, Bi Men, Bi Women. So B-I Men, B-Y Women. And they interviewed a ton of straight women who are dating bi men. And essentially, mm-hmm. bi men made for, if they were out and open, they made for better lovers. They were more egalitarian in doing the housework. They were more open emotional and just like overall great partners uh however if these men were closeted then Hmm. then it led to you know a lot of anger potentially abuse like terrible aspects of it but so i think there's also a big difference between are these men out open comfortable with their sexuality or are these men not and still struggling Mm, 79 australian women in relationships with bisexual men okay yes yeah i i see that yeah maria polata chiroli yeah we'll put it in the episode notes cool um i loved my queer man partner he passed away and i i'm sorry to hear 
thank you. I was so lucky to expand and we both got to experience our queerness together in so many ways. And I love the person I'm with now, but he is straight. We've investigated. <laughs> He's open to the idea, but you can only try so is- hard. I, I have some, sorry, I interrupted. Uh, Please. I have one of my best friends is straight. And the number of times he's tried hooking up with guys and he's just like, well, maybe if I just, I'm like, honey, I love you so much. I love how, I love how much you want to be by. He's like, it's just like the culture. And I get hit on by so many guys and it seems so nice. And like, I don't know, I have good guy friends. If I should just fuck them. And it's just like, it's like, I love, I really love how hard you are trying here, honey. But I, I just don't think it's, it's, it's okay to be straight. I, I have to let yeah. him know. I just want to add, definitely, if someone's secure in themselves, they're just going to show up better because repressed sexuality is dangerous. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we we know that. We know that. Okay. Okay. So this brings us to the next question. Do you have any tips for patiently <laughs> combating STI stigma? I'm finding that, oh, wow, I forgot to read ahead, that more women are less likely to interact with me after I disclose that I've had male partners, and they say it's because gay men are slutty. <laughs> some gay men are slutty. Some gay men are not slutty. I, I will say that. And I mean, this is just like a part of me is just like, don't fucking engage with these people. That's honest to God, my main advice. If someone believes this, like, yes, you can calmly explain to them, hey, I like if you're on PrEP, explain what PrEP is and how it prevents you from getting HIV. If you wear condoms with other men, let them know. Let them know how often you get tested. Um, And you can say, obviously, this is a harmful stigma. But another part is just like, just don't fucking date them. Don't try to argue with them or convince them. This person, like this person doesn't want to have sex with you because they think you're like a disease. But like, yes, mm. you, you, like just don't fucking engage with it for your mental mm. health. Don't try to convince people to sleep with you if they are ignorant. You know what I mean? And if you're running, mm. there are plenty of people, other, you know, bi women, queer women, and even straight women who, you know, don't believe these things. Um, mm. it, it's, like yeah. i don't know i just like don't you're, you're i can get down with that just don't engage like ugh. there's a i have a friend his name's courtney brame he's a herpes educator and he's communicated to me and openly before that he's found that people who are he can sense some kind of hesitancy but they still consent to proceed they're more likely to then text him later and feel weird about it or freak out that maybe they transmitted something, you know. So he's like, at this point, it's just it's just a red flag. I just don't. Yeah, you just don't want to have to deal with it, that too. Yeah, and if like this is gonna end up with, yeah, uh, uh, hey, when was the last time you got tested? Immediately after you have sex, and you're just like, I don't want to de- deal with like the shame kind of creeps in, or the anxiety creeps in is maybe the correct word here. And it's like, do you want to deal with this? Like, mm-hmm. no. And there are enough people who don't believe these stigmas, and like. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. eight billion people now. Eight billion. God. <laughs> One of my older guests uh, said something about there being like, or I think she said six or maybe seven, and I was like, no, there's eight now. <laughs> yeah, in the last ten years. Okay, so plenty of fish on the grinder or whatever. Um, listener question four: I talk myself out of getting into sexual situations because I feel like I'm going to be bad at sex due to my lack of experience but then i just keep sitting in a stuck place do you have any advice or motivation yeah i think for something like this is letting people know that you're not experienced beforehand and Mm. that you are a little bit nervous i I think if they know that they're going to you know treat you differently and maybe check in more 
or that like if you do something awkward they know like oh this actually has nothing to do with me he's just not experienced or they might offer to lead and coach you a little bit being like yeah i have a little bit of experience i think acknowledging that and then being like so let me know what you like or what i can do Mm. like use it as an opportunity to be more communicative about your desires asking them what they want uh and you'll be fine at sex you know what i mean like a lot of it is just like doing what the fuck these people want you to do and if they can coach you and you can listen that's what makes you good at sex so i think Mm. if you let them know beforehand you're inexperienced so that way you know any they'll be like oh okay thank you for letting me know it'll slow it down but um yeah you don't have to be this incredible sex god machine you know what i mean Mm -mm. the vast majority of people are not and sex is scary and nerve-wracking and addressing it from the beginning is i think Mm -hmm. the right way to go and for those of us who um are not not as timid we are the sluts (laughs) we're the few the proud the prolific yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we're here too so we're the we're here to coach you Definitely. I love that. Yeah. Just be honest because I feel like when people know the balls in their court, they're more likely to relax as well. Yeah. I'm thinking about that J. Cole song, Wet Dreams, where it's like oh the dudes pretending, the whole time. Pretending that he's uh, this player. And then he, that's one of my favorite songs in the album. Uh, and then he's like, I've never had sex before. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, At yeah. the end, the girl is like, I've never done this before. And he's like, oh, <laughs> Like they both like are the same. Yeah. Yeah. Great song. Love that. Great song. And I get messages from people actually. Um, I get them in like the educator realm. Like I get them on that contact form. And then I get them on the sexting app that I use from people very similarly where they're like, I don't have any experience. I'm a virgin. I'm 22. And I'm like, oh, honey, that's not even. You're you're young. Yeah, you're young. Like, um, okay. So. I, for a year in high school, for some reason that I, reasons I still don't understand, I volunteered in a old folks home and I saw people who were literally stuck all day, every day until they expire sitting in a room, staring at the wall or maybe getting wheeled around the yard. And I thought to myself, oh my God, some people spend the rest of their days in these facilities. So at the very least, if this is me, I want to have a ton of memories (laughs) So I'm just oh yeah, douche it. <laughs> I'm gonna you know like I saw you got theragunned in the booty hole at Pride. Oh, I did. That was fucking intense. You'll never forget that. it. <laughs> I will never forget it. And I like I have this like digital zine also called Boy Slut, which is either great branding or very confusing. I don't know. <laughs> um, but it's like nonfiction erotica, so real stories that have happened to me. And then I also have uh, submissions that come in. So once a month, it's from another guest writer as well. Oh, fun. And it's kind of like. It's great because people jack off to it and they love it and they're fun stories. And obviously, there's usually like an overarching narrative of, about how I learned something about myself or how I grew or like something speaks to something larger about sex in society or sex in tech, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it's also very raunchy too. And but it's also like I just know whatever it is 10 years from now, like I'm, I'm now going to have a journal of all of my craziest sex stories that I can read when I'm mm-hmm. 80 years old and my dick can't get hard and I can't come and I'm in my wheelchair. Mm-hmm. So exactly. it's for future Zach, too. Exactly. We make those investments. That's beautiful. OK, everybody. So you're listening to the Boy Slut episode of They Talk Sex podcast. Thank you for your nice ratings and reviews and feedback on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Look us up, theytalksex.com for recommended products and you can get a hold of me, lstanger.com.
It's Elle here with a juicy secret. You have so many options for your relationship structure. Best-selling author, New York Times, and NPR contributor Dr. Jolie Hamilton is the expert who helps people custom design relationships to get more of what they want. Dr. Jolie's highly coveted program, The Year of Opening, is for people who are ready for more. To join the waitlist and get first dibs on a one-to-one call with Dr. Jolie at no charge, sign up for free now at theyearofopening.com. Welcome back to the Talk Sex Podcast. This is the Boy Slut episode. We are talking about, well, I am learning about Zachary Zane's experiences in bisexuality through a kinky and polyamorous lens. And he likes being raunchy and graphic on purpose, which I am so here for. Okay, Zachary. So I'm curious. So I used to do some local columns and then I had a column on Thrillist back when they did that and I wrote for mm-hmm. Romper and stuff. So I kind of understand the, cool. yeah, the writing struggle. Uh, that's why I asked you earlier if you get a lot of the same question because that's oh, yeah, been my absolutely. experience. Yeah, a lot of the same like dozen questions. Uh, mm-hmm. So for you as a sex positive person of these multiple identities being very vocal and bright and shiny in the world do you experience any obstacles to being published online or in print um i mean the, the main thing they're okay with talking about bisexuality or polyamory sometimes my language is too graphic uh and and that is fair that that's it's not in line with the rest of the magazine you know mm. what i mean and my editor at men's health she'll often be she'll often be like zach this is so fucking funny and ridiculous and you know i can't publish this. <laughs> like, you, like you, you know this and it's the balance of i write what i want to mm-hmm. write she apologizes and cuts it down and i'm like no i understand jordan yeah That's fine and anyway, it's the delicate balance that we have mm-hmm. um but i think you know often what i end up doing or what i was doing was like in order to get published at these kind of like higher profile magazines as you often talk about in the context of like mental health or talking about like bisexual, um, yeah, like health disparities or discrimination or double discrimination. You kind of do it from that lens is how I'm able to kind of discuss mm. these things. But I just know kind of which places what I should be writing for each place. Mm. You know what I mean? I can't write one article for the New York Times. I'm writing for Men's Health. Then I'm writing for Cosmo. Then I'm writing for my right. book. And that's one of the great things about my book is it's absolutely my voice and people are like oh my god zach you're so fucking funny <laughs> and i'm like yeah I, i'm like yeah i can't be funny in most of the pl- things i'm writing for like that's not the style that they mm. want i have to do the style that they request mm-hmm. um well. so yeah you just have to be smart about it mm-hmm. i think is kind of my answer to that okay and and buy the book oh please buy five to ten thousand copies uh for everyone <laughs> you know please and um, for those of us who are still trying to figure out what the heck we said earlier, so you theragunned your booty hole. Yes. Okay. So there, penetration? Yeah, so there is an attachment to a theragun. Okay. And so a theragun, oh, for people okay. who don't know, is kind of those massage balls that like are very, that, that uh, move very rapidly and kind of work out the knots in your muscles. But there's a company that makes dildos on it. And I've seen... <laughs> um, the, the guy who is a close friend of mine do it, but like on women and they fucking loved it and squirted and it was always, oh, it, yeah. you know, the vagina was great. And I'm like, oh, I can do this. Like I, I'm kind of, a, I can be a little bit of a black hole with my asshole. Let's do it. And like <laughs> the asshole and the vagina are two 
very <laughs> different yeah. uh, things. And like, it was like, we warmed myself up and he did it. And like, after like five seconds, I'm like, all right, off, off, off. And he's like, okay, okay. I'm yeah. Like, oh, Again, okay, we can do this. And I think I got it up to about like a minute I was able to do. But it just, Whoa. and it was on the lowest setting. And it was just like oh. so intense. And I think this was more of like a serendipitous thing. I was at a sex party. Zach, do you want to do this? Sure, let's do it. I think the next time I do this, I will stretch myself out for the entirety of the day. You know what I mean? Like I would yeah. spend an hour or two just fucking prepping. Yeah, just gauging myself. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so by the time I'm there, I'm ready to go. That totally makes sense. Okay, good butthole awareness. We like that, definitely. Um, okay, good. I'm glad you don't have too many obstacles uh, to being published. Uh, what about social media? Do you ever get flagged? Oh, yeah, it's fucking terrible. Uh, no, social media is the worst. And okay. uh, it seems like they remove stuff even though it's completely following their standards and I'm always threatened that they're going to ban me. My boy son Instagram account got permanently banned. I could not get it back. Um, mm. I had a specific. How many followers did you have? That was it. Was a newer one. Um, so that okay. one I only had a thousand or something because I kind of just started it, and I was like, versus I think my regular one, I have like twenty five or twenty six thousand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they cut me a little bit more slack because I'm verified. Um, I've noticed mm. I still get shit on it, but I feel like I'm getting less shit um, mm-hmm. on it mm-hmm. right now. But yeah, the Instagram mm-hmm. account and the, the Boy Slut one was just for promotion of the book, promotion for kind of the articles I write for the Boy Slut zine, and then also merch. And I throw like Boy Slut parties or Buy Slut parties um, as well. So it's just You're kind so of information busy. about everything and everything that I'm doing. Um, you are very busy, very busy. And to share when other people share cute photos with the book, I'm able to kind of reshare it there, which is always nice. But so yeah, that was annoying. But you know, I think we're always living in fear on Instagram that this is going to be removed. And still a lot of my money comes from Instagram. You know, that's how I yep. still share my newsletter. And that's how I get traffic through that. I also just get directly paid from sex toy companies for promoting them. It's also how right. I sell my book. Like, like so much of my livelihood is um, contingent upon that, which is really scary, like that it could potentially go away. And that's why I'm always like trying to build out the newsletter being like, everyone, please subscribe because I might be gone from Instagram tomorrow. And this will be the only way you can get in touch with, you know what I mean? Like only way I can reach everyone. How can people find the newsletter on your website? Uh, on my website, if you type in like boy slut, like so boy slut is always one word. Actually speaking of uh, the reason why that is, is because I would have got dinged on Amazon. If you do boy hmm. slut as two words, slut is a curse word, I would not have shown up in searches. Good um, lord. So that's why boy slut is one word. And like if you type it in as two words, you will not find the book. Like versus okay. usually they would like, oh, very cl- – hey, did you mean boy slut? One word. Or like like it would still show up because the algorithm is good. But like mm-hmm. – so some people are like, oh, I can't find it. I'm like, fuck, that's actually really annoying and that's impacting my yeah. sales. And luckily I tell them like, hey, it is one word. Also, usually they can end up Googling it, and through Googling it, it will show up. Um, but yeah, for the zine, you can find it on my website. If you just type in boy slut, one word, like my book comes up on Amazon, the Substack. So it's through Substack. The Substack comes on as well. Sure does. Okay, good. Yeah, easy to find in that regard. I was just wondering. Uh, I'm sorry to hear your social media experience is very much like mine, and it is scary and it is disheartening, but what I guess all we can do is keep yeah. moving, right? Yeah. Yeah, we rebuild. All right. So what is something you'd like to say to any bisexual person who's listening, specifically bisexual uh, men? I think first and foremost that you are not alone. I think there's this idea and this fear that we are like the only bi guys in the world and we'll never be able to find a bi community. 
or by partners or we're going to live our life in a way that is, and I live my life in this way for a long time where it's like, I'm putting on my gay hat and I'm going out with my gay friends and there's that aspect of my identity or I'm out with my straight friends and I'm straight. And I never felt like I was fully embracing all of me or in spaces where I, I'm bisexual. I'm not gay, Zach. I'm not straight, Zach. So I think knowing that you are not alone, there are a ton of us and that you can work to find an incredible community that is supportive and loving and embraces all aspects of who you are. What is your most radical worldview? I've started asking people this. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> uh, he was quite radical. Uh, let's see. What's my quite radical? Okay. So one thing, I don't know if it's necessarily a radical worldview, but it's something I'm kind of passionate about is I think the way that we often call out people is done so in a way that is harmful, further mm. going to cause divide. And I'm not saying mm. people don't need to be called out. Like, obviously, men need to be called out for being toxically masculine and racist and transphobe. Yes, but I often feel like we come from this place. We're calling people out from a place of, like, moral superiority, and we just want to yell. And even though you are right, if you say, fuck all mm. men or all men are trash, guys aren't going to be like, oh, thank you. They're going to say, fuck you. I'm going to keep being a trash piece of shit. Like, we're just butting mm -hmm. heads. And mm -hmm. I, I think it's important to recognize it's like, do you want to just be right or are you just angry and therefore screaming in the void or do you actually want these people to change? Are you trying to have a positive impact on the world? Because if you're trying mm -hmm. to change the world and make it a better place, the way you're going about calling out people is not beneficial. So I, I think for me, I'm someone who's very much about call-in culture and creating environments where people can make mistakes knowing that they're not going to be canceled or can get angry. And again, I'm not excusing bad behavior. I'm not excusing this behavior, but I just think often like, yeah, the way we approach things is really mm -hmm. not in a positive way that's actually going to implement change. Oh, you know, Clementine Morgan. Yeah. Do I sound like yeah. her right now? <laughs> well, that's funny. So we have an episode with Clementine. Uh, I'm I have an recording with her next week. I'm so excited. Oh, uh, delightful. Yeah, she, that's funny. Clementine and I connected on the internet like 15 years ago and then found each other again because I was getting canceled and I was looking for resources. Yeah, And she's like, yeah, I mean, I was almost I'm nervous to go on this podcast. You know what I mean? Because I know some people are going to get mad at me for associating with her, but I... Yeah, I don't agree with her on oh, everything, but like I agree yeah. with her on most of the things and I really stand by what yeah. she believes. So I was like, no, like yeah. I can't be afraid of being canceled. And again, I, I like I'm allowed to disagree with her on some things and I'll voice them. But I think the work she does is mm -hmm. very impactful. And honestly, you could kind of tell just from the way that I spoke that I read her stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. Well, it's funny because when you started talking, I was like, wow, I don't usually hear stuff like this. And this is the stuff I've been saying. And I've also been canceled for saying stuff like I'm not going to knee jerk reactionary, like cancel anyone yeah. based on allegations, because I've also witnessed people lie in allegations. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So it's complicated. And I've yeah, I've been canceled for that. Um, and then I remember when I said I was looking at your Instagram earlier today, I was like, who's this person I'm going to interview? I saw you and Clementine communicating and I was like, well, hot diggity. What a small world. It, it, <laughs> I'm in the right place. It really is. Uh, but yeah, no, I was, I'm nervous about going on it, but I'm like, no, I stand by what I believe. No. And yeah, and again, don't be yeah, right. Like this is yeah. what you have to do. No. You'll be good. You'll be great. That's wonderful. Yeah. No, I like your stuff a lot. Good. Lastly. Do you have any sex tips for our audience besides all the ones you just gave? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, try to 
learn what you want and then learn how to ask for it nicely and learn how to handle rejection. Sorry, that was, a, I guess, a three-part there. It's mm, okay. You know, three-parter, three steps here. But sex I think, tips. Yeah, sex tips here. But I think so, some people don't know what they want. They're so afraid to explore. Then they do know what they want. They're so ashamed of it. Uh, and therefore, they don't ask for it. And then uh, sometimes they do ask for it. And if they don't get a, an initially positive response, they then spiral. So I think if you can be able to ask for things kindly, knowing that people might not be into it, and that's okay. Uh, you, Yeah, you can have a really rewarding and fulfilling sex life. Mm, awesome. You said it very well, uh, boy slut Zachary Zane. So fun to talk to you here. I'm so glad we met. Yeah, this is great. And I'm grateful for your readers and followers uh, who recommended me. I've been following yeah. you for quite some time. So this was awesome to oh, you know get shit. that DM from you. I did not know that. That's really cool. Yeah, I asked yeah. on Twitter. I was like, who's a good role model and should come on the show? <gasps> Heck yeah. Okay, well, I will see you on Instagram. Uh, we're never getting kicked off. On, <laughs> Fingers knock, crossed. Knocking on something right now. Okay, everybody go to ZacharyZane.com if you haven't already and look up Boy Slut One Word. Until next time, I'm your host, El Stanger.